Absolutely. And we're going to start with Masoom that is uh, streaming on Hulu, uh, Hulu's Hotstar, uh, which is Disney uh, plus Hotstar for the rest of the world. But we got Hulu. And you know what? The funny part about Masoom on Hulu was that they literally, when the series dropped, there were two episodes. And it wasn't episode one or episode, it was episode two and episode four. And you're like, hey, Hulu, what happened? Where are the rest of the episodes? So what are you doing to us? Listen, <laughs> we got to work. So finally, as you, as you get into it, finally, 24 hours later, the rest of the episodes appeared. And they appeared very weirdly. So you got to go watch episode two, and then one comes up, and then three comes up, and then four comes up. There's something wrong with their streaming engine out there. Definitely something wrong. But, okay, so let's talk about Masum. It is Bowman Irani's uh, debut on, on, on a streamer, so big one. And with him are several other actors, but one phenomenal actress that we found this week was... Samara Tajori. She is actor Deepak Tajori's daughter, and she kind of wins the series along with Bowman Irani's character. They just have this crazy chemistry. Um, the father and daughter, and she is a little cuckoo because obviously she's on medication and everything, but she doubts her father. She doubts everything that her father does. So when her mother dies, she starts thinking that it's her father that's killed the mother because her father supposedly has had um has been seeing somebody else while the mother has been sick now that is the premise of the story so the story goes top down into her right this is what she thinks about it this is what we get to see but then slowly over its episodes uh, the un unpeeling of the drama happens so Bowman Irani plays Dr. Balraj Kapoor, and he is a doctor in a small town, Punjabi place, a town. And he runs a nursing home, and his wife, Kunband, which is Upasna uh, Singh, is bedridden. And despite this, she keeps the family together, and whatever issues she has, she spends time with her children, except this girl, uh, younger girl, Sana, who's uh, Samara Tajori. And she's not only deeply antagonistic towards her father, but she, she was asked to leave the house and go live somewhere else because she's just a troublemaker. And she she just go on with the theories and go and tell people her theories. And, you know, she, she just works in, in ways where she wants to put her father into trouble. So she arrives at her mother's funeral and uh, she's anger, angry and she's resentful. And then she realizes, oh, my dad wasn't there when my mom died. So he's got something to do with this. And then she starts, uh, you know, kind of going and talking to several people to figure out how much is her dad lying to her. So just that entire uh, antagonistic attitude where her siblings are trying try to cool her down. She doesn't listen to them. And she suspects that her father has killed um, the mother and he, she tries playing Sherlock in that small town. And uh, the rest of the episodes are really how the puzzle fits in, um, you know, how how exactly the real story, what, what seems is not what there is. And the story starts peeling back. Talking about Masoom, actually, 
M finished the whole premise of what was kind of happening. And now I'm going to let her give you guys an honest review. Like, what did she actually think? What did you think, M? Well, you know, although I thought Sana's character was a little bit stretched in places and her inability to literally lateral think situations was kind of frustrating uh, for, for an audience because she's that character. She just sticks to her thought process and she jumps to conclusion. And while she, when she jumps to conclusion, she goes and she does things about it. You know, mm -hmm. she's, she's that crazy character. What I really liked about the show was the fact that they actually spoke about mental health. They spoke to mental health where the father being a doctor really had the children medicated when they weren't feeling all that good. I so, think there was a, a deeper issue with like all the children too, right? Because I, for anyone in the audience who doesn't know, the father is a doctor. The mother has passed away. The son is gay and he's planning on like eloping. I guess I wouldn't use the word eloping, like running away with his Absolutely. And, and the normalization of that aspect where his mother, his dying mother knows. Mm -hmm. She actually tells him in this very nice scene, she tells him, listen, I got a gold chain. I got two bangles. Why don't you sell them and go, go to Australia, live there. Yep. She actually does that for her son. So that normalization of, children the way they are and acceptance so so the mother would accept even the gay son but they were having difficulty accepting this daughter yes and even the older daughter is actually divorced as well which is also a, a pretty taboo up in india um, uh, absolutely and, so I, and, the, and it's a father who takes a stand and says she's not going back to her husband who abuses her she's gonna stay here so yes and you exactly, as M had mentioned, I think that they're able to come to terms with so many things, but the way Sana's character is portrayed kind of gives me like that baby from, um, you know, never have I ever vibes where you're like, how can someone be just so over the edge, right? Like what judgmental, has- Judgmental. Yeah, but you know something that there's a, there's a difference in writing. Davy uh, and never have I ever is, is likable you know, you'll love her. Yeah. Um, whatever she does, her intentions aren't to create malice. She does it because of, you know, that's the normal way a teenager would behave in those mm -hmm. circumstances. And she's, she's got these, she's confused between her roots and how to, how to be cool, right? So she's got, she's traversing two parallel lives. She's traversing the Indian side of her life and the American side of her life. Like all of us are every day. So you understand why she's doing what she's doing. And if she goes a little off the top, like screaming at her mother's boyfriend and, you know, telling her, you can't be dating anybody, you know, stuff like that. You get it. You get her first reaction of letting her mom go like that, right? So you get that. But with this character, Sana, you really want to slap her hard and you want to yeah. tell her to just sit down. And she drives you to that. Um, I have to give it that uh, Sana's character, um, and uh, Samara Tajori, the way she portrays Sana's character, she, that that angst that she portrays with her body language, with the action that she does, the way she speaks, the way she the way she kind of concludes things on her own, um, was so well written. Absolutely. So, um, uh, Shrek, what do you feel about? the entire what's your vibe with the show would you would you want people to go watch it do you recommend it 
Absolutely. Of course, I recommend it. I give this show an eight out of 10, which means we give the show an eight out of 10. Don't forget to read the review on daisies.live. And if you want to go ahead and tweet us or Instagram us, the Instagram DM us and leave us a note on what you thought about the show. We are at Daisy's live gram or at Daisy's live on Twitter. And we always want to hear what you have to say. But overall, I think, you know, you know what? A lot of you would do that. You know, after we review the show, you guys go watch it and then you come back to us with your comments and we absolutely love that uh, we know you guys take longer to watch it so we keep waiting for your comments to come so please do write to us and tell us what you thought about the shows that we are reviewing as well because we do want to hear from you we do and we try to respond almost always so you will hear from us you will consistently get our feedback on what your thoughts are and overall i think you should definitely watch this show because not only is it well told i think the emotions portrayed by the actors were just incredible phenomenal like i can constantly constantly feel that teetering edge of angst that sana is on at any given moment i feel like she's just going to go ballistic Absolutely. He is a acting masterclass throughout the show. It is it is such a delight watching him in those interactions. And, you know, at times he's 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 worried at times, you know, they're, they're having financial trouble because obviously the wife's been bedridden for a long time. She needs all the care and uh, she he, he can he can no longer afford um, payments for the hospital staff, his nursing home staff. But he still has a nurse coming in home for his wife. So there are there are things that he's 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 handling apart from you know the situation with his kids and family life. The things that he's handling uh, on the other hand with finances and work as well, and all of that together, Bowman Irani is so in control of his character. You know he is that guy. He is. And for anyone who wants to watch, we just want to let you guys know that the characters do speak a mix of Punjabi and Hindi. So please be wary of that. Subtitles are available. Absolutely. And we also want to tell you that this is a remake of the British show Blood and the Indian adaptation is penned by Sachin Tripathi. But we're going to switch gears and talk about She, which season two is now out. If you guys haven't watched season one, we did review that for you. So please go to Daisies.live and you will be able to read our full review there. Or you can, you know, check out our social media for the little small treetop version. But we're going to jump right into season two and tell you all of what it was about. Uh, for the first season of Netflix's She introduced us to Constable Bhumika Pardeshi, or aka Bhumi, played by Aditi Pohankar, who sent who's an undercover to infiltrate this gang of dreaded and mysterious drug lord called Nayak, who was played by Kishore Kumarji. And the second season, we actually follow Bumi, who's leading a double life, because she's kind of struggling to decide who she is or which one she should choose at this point. Like, does she want to be the cop and get Nayak arrested, or should she be the free, free woman sorry, that Nayak has shown her and leave her old life? And she's kind of balancing this act by saying making her avatar like a sex worker undercover working for her persona and she discovers this new side to her sexuality that she really starts enjoying kind of like with all the power that she has over all of these men that she keeps seeing and she compares it to her life where she's with her ex-husband in this completely loveless marriage loveless interactions and those comparisons kind of is what kills the joy of going back to where she was before because the quality of sex she has now with her customers and the reality of her like real insipid life. So she's a cop by day and a hooker by night. 
and she's trying to convince Nayak that his of his gang that she's on their side but will they ever I guess really trust her because you know she she's a cop she at the end of the day she still is a cop so we're kind of seeing throughout this series where she's battling this inner struggle of her going through this concept of finding her inner self and her inner happiness and what makes her I guess I would say fulfilled in a sense and even though the work that she's doing is kind of taboo which they do touch on the fact that she is kind of doing some taboo work she finds a lot of freedom in it because she has seen that the societal constructs that are keeping her constantly working with the system working with the justice working with what i guess these rules of the population are she's like not everything is what it really seems to be like once she meets nike and you know in season one she has come to this realization that she's like oh, he has shown me how to, this like life of freedom and how to live outside these boundaries. He's not actually the bad guy. Like he really isn't. But according to the law, he still is. So she is now making that decision of not only like turning him and not turning him in, but also like, should she stay with her old life or, or like, should she continue her new life? And so you see the two parallel continuously happening in season two. Now, Aditi Pahankar, I have seen her act previously in a few other movies, I think. And she Ashram? is phenomenal every, I'm sorry. Ashram? Just last and week. Ashram, yes. When I saw her face first my screen, I was like, I have definitely seen her before. And I didn't know who she was until I went back and checked the cast. I realized it was her. And this is my second time seeing her act. And she's phenomenal. She's just so good at what she does. However, one thing I've noticed is that her range seems to be limited to these kinds of like more feministic kind of roles like that's where she like feministic power roles or at least that's where I have seen people like put her constantly in those types of roles and I think that she has a broader range I really do think that when she comes to acting like she could go into honestly even like villain work I think she would be great in those roles and I would love to see her explore that side more because especially in season two we see this like darkness that she brings to Boomi's character that I just I was like I was so taken back I have never seen her act that way and I, I think it was just so alluring it really was it was it was, so it was crazy it was and I'm gonna give it over to Mira to tell us what did you think of she well you know when I watch um season one I I really it was a gritty story because it was a story from the lens of a female. It wasn't from the lens of a male. So the camera lens, written, of course, by the inimitable uh, Imtiaz Ali. He's not directed it, though. Arif Ali has directed it, but he's written it. And, you know, when, when Imtiaz Ali writes something, you know, the lens is going to be utterly feministic, but also dreamy romantic. And I was looking for that dreamy romanticism here, and then I found it in season uh, season two. When season one, uh, you know, the last scene of season one is when she goes undercover with Nayak, the biggest drug drug lord that the cops were after. And she goes undercover with him and he realizes she's a cop. And is like, damn, what's this kid going to do now? Because she's caught. He, she's her, her, her cover is blown. And he's taken her phone away and he's taken her on a boat somewhere. And she doesn't know where she is. And the cops cannot rescue her. Her team cannot rescue her. So it's her life. So she moves herself into that. The character of Bumi moves herself into, uh, into survival mode right there. So how does she save her life? It was to play along with the guy, with the drug warlord. So she starts playing her game and she also realizes that 
it will not take the cops long to push her under the bus because they weren't there for her when her life was in danger. She's putting her life in danger being undercover, but they weren't able to cover for her. At the same time, when the situation that she was, she had no other option but to play along with the drug warlord. But while doing that, she also starts being, for the first time in her life, appreciated as a woman. And she falls in love with him because he really looks at her differently. He looks at her as a woman. He makes love to her as a woman, whereas her previous experience with her ex-husband had been, he blamed her for being cold. And here she was, she had all the power because of her sexuality. So given that um, the comparison in her head, she falls in love with the drug warlord. But at the same time, she has this duty towards her, the cops. So now between the cops and the drug warlord, she's in a situation where the drug warlord knows she's a cop and the cops knows that she's with the drug warlord and none of them trust her. So what does she do? She looks out for her own survival. So that entire, to write that entire jigsaw puzzle of how she's gonna survive when none of the parties trust her, one party is giving her information to misinform the other party, the other party is giving her information to misinform this party and she's in the middle of it all. She finds herself in a situation, she makes decisions. What I really loved about the screenplay was the fact that the screenplay did not judge her for her decisions. The screenplay, the lens of the director, the lens of the storyteller did not judge her for, being, for, for, for enjoying sex. The lens of, it did not, the lens of the director did not judge her for feeling erotic. Uh, or getting intimate with many men. So she, the judgmental lens was taken off the entire narrative. And I absolutely loved how that lid was taken off. Boomy. Me too. Me too. That was my favorite part. I think once we, it was also why I liked Aditi's work so much. Because she, like once she got the freedom to like fully take on that role because they never put her in a state of like, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? She was just like, this is what I am doing now. And there's nothing For survival. Yeah. Because she's exactly. in survival mode. Like, you know something, Shreya? All of us are as women. Right. Our decisions are normally not only driven by moral standards, but also driven by the fact what we got to do what we got to do to survive. Exactly. And she's doing exactly that in a man's world where she's playing a double-edged game. I mean, come on, the cops don't trust her. The drug, drug guy doesn't trust her. And she's the one everybody's operations is dependent on. Exactly. And if something goes wrong, she is the one that goes down first. So she is doing whatever is best for her, but she is so alluring because she starts to enjoy it and the writing allows her to enjoy it. They're like, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, go ahead. Like, it's fine if you start enjoying things that you didn't think, you know, was going to be like a happy side effect of, of being in this fight or flight mode. It's totally okay. And you just see so much of her character come out. It's like siren work. Like, it's just, 
she's so charming at that point and I loved it I loved watching her enjoy herself she because starts I think controlling her looks she starts controlling her sexuality she does things just because she feels powerful and we're going to wrap up she season two for you guys and let you know what our final thoughts are and should you watch it or should you not watch it what should they do em well, you should definitely watch it not because of any other reason but because of the fact that storytelling of this quality where you take the judgment lens off a woman's actions is very rare and very rare not only in Indian storytelling but also very rare in American storytelling or British storytelling so I, I highly recommend this because of that one very big reason where Bumi is never judged by the storytellers and um and, and what I really loved about this entire storyline was also the fact that, uh, you know, this, this is entire scene in which, you know, she's learning from the drug warlord, his, the way his mind works. And she tells him, I want to learn from you. Right. So, so he tells her, uh, he, she actually asks him, how do you kill people close to you? And he says, well, killing people that you don't know is fine, but killing people that you love is an art. It's a necessity. So the, the real art of being in his business was to kill people that he was in love with. And when she finally, we're not going to tell you what the climax is, when she finally does what she does, that kind of comes back a full circle for her because she, she takes care of certain actions based on certain things that happen in the plot, which we can't tell you because there'll be spoilers. But she puts her life in peril, um, but, but she transforms. She not only transforms physically, but she transforms mentally as well. And then that leaves uh, the guy who was in charge of her at, at the, uh, with the cops. He, he's completely destroyed because he doesn't know what's happened. And he actually goes to her and asks her, why did you do what you do? But what did you do? Nobody really knew how she had literally, you know, done what she had done. Mm -hmm. But for her, it was just survival. And we loved it. So we gave it an 8 out of 10, which you should definitely read the review on Live. And we just finished reviewing She Season 2. So we're going to switch to something not on TV, on theaters, which was Nicoma. And I will let M tell you guys what was the treetop, what happened, and why should you be watching this? Okay. But do you know, Shreya, what Nicoma means? No, I don't. It means useless. Oh. <laughs> when somebody is good for nothing, he's a Nikama. Oh. And that's exactly what this movie is. Good useless. for Useless. Oh. Totally useless. So before we go down and tell you what exactly happens in this movie and the real story of the movie, uh, we'll, better, we'll let you know that this is a movie that you don't want to waste your time, money, and effort on. Because that's what we're here for. We wasted enough time, money, effort on this one. But this movie is actually adapted from Venu Sri Ram's Telugu film called Middle Class Abai, which released in 2017. I have seen it. I have seen it. Exactly. So this is headlined by Abhimanyu Dasani, who is the actress Bhagishri's son. Uh, we watched him before in a couple of movies, but remember that movie in which um, you and I had reviewed it where... Um, where the guy and this girl get married and they can't live together because they've got jobs in separate states. So he lives in Bangalore and she lives somewhere else and they kind of 
work there yes, for yes, the yes, yes, Netflix yeah. movie. So he was in that movie as well. And he is Bhagshree's son. And this movie is based out of Lucknow. It's about this guy who is raised by his elder brother, Raman, who is played by Samir Soni. But, you know, he's he's totally useless. He's, he's been raised in a way where the guy just doesn't want to work because he thinks things can happen for him. And then his brother marries um, a girl, a woman. His, her name is Avani, who's a no-nonsense woman. That is Shilpa Shetty, you guys. And oh my God, when you look at Shilpa Shetty and you go, whoa, you really go, whoa, because that woman looks better than what she used to look when we were younger, literally. I don't know what she does. I think it's all that yoga that she does. But this woman looks, whoa, she looks beautifully perfect. So anyways, her brother marries, his brother marries um, uh, Avani Shilpashetti and the new bride takes total control of the household. And Avi really has no other option because she tells him, hey, you shape up or I'll ship you out. Mm -hmm. Then she's also, uh, she's also, she works in the regional transport office and she's in charge of the regional transport office. And then her, her niece, a pretty girl called Natasha, played by Shirley Satya. Shirley Satya, I used to know her as a really amazing singer, and now she's an actor as well, and she's really cute, by the way. Um, however, she enters the life, and she they fall in love, and she's like, okay, let's get married. But um, he just plays along, and uh, he just doesn't know how to commit as well. But then what happens is a gang of criminals led by an aspiring MLA, local MLA, threaten to eliminate... Uh, Shilpa Shetty's character, they're like, all right, you know, you're getting in our way of things, so let's just, so then all of a sudden this Nikama guy turns out to be a superhero, and he is the one-man demolition squad who actually does every damn thing possible to protect his sister-in-law. Absolutely, well, you know, what was really disappointing through the movie, of course, uh, Shilpa Shetty looks amazing, it's just that Neither does the story, nor does the dialogue. The dialogues are so cheesy, Shreya. They are so cheesy. I don't even remember one single one, one single joke that landed. You don't know whether you want to cringe or laugh. Literally, it's that kind of writing. It's that kind of cinema. And I mean, just, just, um, just how Anikama gets converted into a one-man demolition squad is isn't if. You know, you, you you get to watch such amazing content and then you see this and you're like, damn, why am I wasting my time in a theater watching this in the first place? In an empty theater do that. And, and, and honestly, you know, um, not only the writing is so bad, the, the plot just doesn't tie in with each other. It seems so patchy throughout. Um, and then this entire romantic track between Abhimanyu Dasani and Shirley say just there's no chemistry in the track. The dancing synchronized songs, along with Babiji, of course, but there is there is absolutely no chemistry to those scenes. And you're like, oh gosh, are you sure they're in love? They don't look like they're in love. They just sync dancing their hearts out. Are you sure they're in love? Hey, yeah, you sure? Like, hey, you sure they even hey. like each other? You're like, hey, can I? But no. <laughs> 
that's what, what I call that's what I call a hook that was missing from this entire movie called Nikama. There's absolutely no trigger, no hook, no story. Even if they had put that specific sentence in that movie, the movie could be <laughs> a lot better than what it was. Just three or four people in a very patchy story with literally one scene not really dovetailing in another scene. I swear to God, sitting there with my, and I hit my head, a hand, and I was like, damn, what what did I eat? Am I high? What did I, <laughs> am I missing something here? Am I missing a chain of events? And how does this Nikama guy, so you're trying to tell me that you created an entire movie called Nikama based on a story of a guy who's a good-for-nothing guy, but he turns into one-man demolition squad when a woman needs it. A woman needs it, really? You never know where somebody gets their motivation from, I guess. Yeah, but why do women need men to turn up strong? I mean, literally, I thought that era of filmmaking is long gone, done, booed over. But no, it's back here, Nikuma. And we don't recommend it, I take it. Absolutely not. The movie just doesn't land. The writing is so lazy. Abhimanyu Dasani, for some reason, I mean, his first movie was so impressive. Everybody loved it. People didn't even know that he was actually actress Bhagishri's son because he literally did not tell anybody. He did it on his own. And he just doesn't impress. But hey, you know what? Karnuncle is there. And I'm pretty sure Karnuncle will find him 250th movie <laughs> to, to, to to come back with so of course he never disappoints uh unlike this movie though so as we like to say here we watched it so you don't have to but no. without and we want to review suzel the vortex for you guys because we loved it like this week our crew loved this movie loved this series when we were watching this Suzel the Vortex we literally texting each other like girl did you see this and like yeah man did you see this literally insane insane such a good story and I will let M give you guys the treetop and then I will start off with what I thought about it absolutely so this story is about a, a small town called Sembalur, and it's somewhere in Murnar. That's what I figured out. Somewhere in Tamil Nadu, Komunar. Really pretty little small town. And it's the politics of a small town. When first day of the festival, the festival is called Mayana Kolai. And first day of the festival, what happens is a girl goes missing. A girl called Nila goes missing. And the festival is worshipping a goddess called Anglaman. And then the story starts when, firstly, the cops don't take it seriously because there has, has been a fire in a factory as well. So they are kind of looking at the fire in the factory and they're trying to place a blame on somebody, on one of the union leaders. And then the union leader's daughter, Nila, goes missing. So all these things are connected together while the festival is going on. And as the festival, the days of the festivals uh, are going on, there are a lot, a lot of people that have come in, come, that it's a canvas of people in the villa, in, in the town, where everybody knows everybody else and everybody knows everybody else's lives. And the cops who are investigating that case, they feel that they know. They, they know, the, know the people in the village till the story starts 
unraveling because there is a microcosm that thrives in this town. They think everybody knows everything, but then do they know everything? And that the entire peelback of relationships, the entire peelback of personal stories, the entire peelback of 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 uh, dynam- dynamics between between people, it all starts coming out one by one by one. And every episode, there are eight episodes here, guys. Every episode leaves episode leaves you in a crazy cliffhanger to the next episode. And I swear, it was such a riveting watch that you just cannot stop watching. And we are reviewing Suzel the Vortex for you guys. And we just gave you a treetop overview of what it was about. But the crazy part is it gets so much deeper. It gets so much deeper than just like, oh, there's sides of this town that we don't know. There's people in this town we don't know. It starts becoming a situation of the lives of these people. We don't truly know what they're doing. Like you think you're like, oh, I spent enough time with them. They show up to all these events, you know, everything in the town happens together, especially like the Mayana Kolai festival where, you know, Nila goes missing in the first place. Like everything happens on in this like tiny little closed space, but you realize everybody's talking to everybody else behind these closed doors and they're all living somehow a double life. And there's a part in the entire series where Sakurai actually says he's like I thought I knew them and he goes like I thought I knew them like he's the police officer who's on this case and he just says I thought I really knew them and I think that's a great point to bring to the show because if you guys have seen any other versions of like these small town um I want to say like not small town but like tribal areas or these small small yeah small village areas small town kind of stories where something goes wrong and the justice system is brought in they always say like oh these people are so typical like it's always these people who cause the problems or like they stereotype everyone and say like oh it's definitely them and like they were the cause behind it or they're clean you know because they have money and they have status and prestige they would never do something like this they fall into those little potholes mostly because everybody thinks that they're like oh we already know these people on the side outside of this job therefore we know that they are most like they're not the ones who do things this entire series turns that concept on its head it says like just the type of people you don't expect to be doing certain things end up being the driving cause of problems and I think that I don't want to say too much because I feel like the minute I start telling you guys who is connected to who you figure out what kind of happens but The problem becomes that all of these double lives that everybody's leading unknowingly impacts somebody else's life. So they're like somebody who does something, there's like some sketchy dealings and then it impacts someone else's life that causes them to lead their double agency in order to fix like this, you know, this like catapulting snowball effect. And it just keeps going and going downhill. And the reason Nila disappears in the first place is like, there's so many there's so much more to the story. Like it's connected to the fire burning. It's connected to her father being like the head of um, that. Uh, union. Yeah. The union. And it also has a little bit to do with the police force too, which you're just like, where did all of this come in? And it's, it's kind of crazy to see how all of it comes out, but, uh, but, but, but you know, what is, what is really scary is how true it is in smaller communities. You know, people in one way and you just don't know the other side of them because everybody yes. needs, and, and this one, there is this, uh, there is this exchange between the character of Sarai and the Nandini, oh, 
where Sakurai asks Nandini, how did I not know these people this way? And Nandini says, because everybody has a different side to them that you don't know there exists, even though you've grown up with them, you've grown up amongst them and you knew each one of them very well. So then when, when Sakurai realizes Nandini's past and her trauma as well, that entire episode, he did not know, even though he went to school with her, right? Right. So, so, so there, there are these elements that have opened in that are so true. Um, and, you know, the most damage that happens to you or uh, in, in such close-knit societies are normally people you know well. And we were just talking about the small town Sakurai's wife, Nandini, who says, oh, you don't really know these people because, you know, you're looking at life through this, like, really limited lens of like what they tell you is the truth and she's like everybody has so much more to them the issues that people face become a little complicated because we kind of start falling into like the intersectionality of identity like we're looking at people who are like oh no like between genders they start having a problem they're like between sexual preferences they actually start having a problem there is there are people who do identify as lgbtq plus in this little town and that's like a hidden side of their identity um there's some there's differences over like religious beliefs over certain kinds of occupations and how well they pay and actually people who end up you know, falling into like the traps of bribery in some of these cases. And you see like socialism, you see capitalism, you, you see a little bit of everything. And it's not that people portray themselves to be perfect on the outside, but they just don't portray themselves to have such deep seated flaws. Like there is actually this crazy point where Sakurai takes his anger at like the double-sidedness of people. And he says, it starts turning into like a, a shock and disbelief goes into anger. He's like, how can you hide so much from people? Like, how can you live a completely messed up, discriminatory, double life? And like, everybody out here is like, wow, you're, you know, this person is such a great person. Like you're going around thinking like everybody's like, I don't, I'm not, I want, I don't want to say like nice or like, I guess you just go around like assuming the best in people. And then you realize that there's some of like, the worst people with deep-seated prejudice and discrimination and issues over small, minute, intersectional parts of identities. And that's like, that part does get brought up throughout the series, which I really enjoyed. And we definitely do talk about it. If you want to go read our full review, it is on Live. But we, there is, there's so much to the story. And I think that which each with each story that he uncovers, like you can see his emotions constantly becoming like, oh my gosh, this case gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm actually getting so irritated with how deep it's getting because everybody has done their part to cover. Every time he jumps into a conclusion, the conclusion is wrong. It's wrong. Every time he jumps into a conclusion, he just concludes it wrongly. And then something else happens totally out of whack. But what, before we wrap up this review, I just wanted to say that the show is absolutely spectacular to look at. Um, some of the white shorts, the lighting, the festival scenes, and there's so many people. I mean, it's, it's almost overwhelming to see so many people packed together. But the way the 
camera moves. Some of the shots were so good. The shots of the, you know, the Munar landscape, but then the shots around the festival, uh, shots of people, their faces, the editing is brilliant, brilliant. Um, you get a feel that you live in that town when the camera moves across and pans across some of the uh, buildings and streets and you become a part of that scene. So um, I have to give it up for um, the cinematographer who is Mukesh Warren and the editor Richard Kevin and the production designer Arun Venjaramodu and of course the costume designer Purnima. Brilliant work, brilliant. And then the, the music that kind of uh, elevates that experience. So sound designers Sachin Sudhakar and Hari Haran, thank you so much. This was such a brilliant watch, just the colors of the festival and the parallel story of the festival, of what the festival was about with the story of missing Neela. Um, it's just um, just such so, so beautifully woven together as the investigation uh, keeps uncovering new things. And then I have to also talk about the performances. Every damn performance in the show is just out of the park of this. Brother Ben Radha Krishnan, who's brilliant, there's Shriya Reddy, there's Kathir, and of course there's Ishwari Rajesh as Nandini. Oh my God, they just hold you ransom throughout as the episodes keep going on. But I have to give it up for two other actors. Um, Gopika Ramesh as Neela and FJ as Adhisiyama. Oh my God, they are so young and they're so talented. So um, I, I really thought that the entire narrative of the show was so extremely deeply layered, so detailed. The detailing is immensely mind blowing. And then how nuanced it is because the descriptions in little shots and those are just beautifully put together. I love it. 